Welcome to RiskWise, a show about money for Muslims, where you'll learn how to make smarter financial decisions without selling your soul. For the full experience, join us at no cost at riskwise.com. Assalamu alaikum, Risk Nation. Welcome back to the show. Today is an episode of Ask RiskWise. I am your host, Ahmed Bunawar, joined as always by my co-host, Defender of Financial Freedom, Saeed Ali. <laughs> Assalamu alaikum. Thanks for joining us once again. Good to be back. Thank you very much for the introduction, Ahmed, the writer of Compelling Emails. I'm just, blazing, I'm just blazing through that intro now. Yeah, do it it's up. It's automatic. All right. So today we are going to ruffle some feathers. Saeed is going yes. to make some enemies. Yes. I'm going to try to uh, get through this episode unscathed and... <laughs> with my reputation intact um, by saying as little as possible and just asking questions and watching Saeed go out on a limb. All right. But actually, he's not going out on a limb. Um, the question, perhaps, um, is going to be intriguing to a lot of people because I think a lot of people probably share these sentiments and Saeed has a perspective on this that we're going to air out. So I would actually say that I'm not going out on the limb. I'm bringing everybody back to the tree trunk. Well, I didn't want to say that because I knew you'd say it. Mm. All right. <laughs> Let's do this. So the question is, I get worried about putting all of my savings into investments because of the recent history of the 2008 financial market meltdown and the Bernie Madoff investment scandal. I'm kind of a hardcore libertarian, and I follow Ron Paul's Liberty Report. He keeps saying that our economy is going to go bankrupt because the Federal Reserve keeps printing money. Okay. I mean, how much time do I have? Because there's like four things that I can rant about here. Well, yeah, let's let's not go to town. Let's keep it short and sweet. <laughs> all right. So let, let's boil all of that down into this feeling um, that the global economy is going to collapse. Can we boil? Because I can address each one of those points that he has and look at history, not headlines, and to see how much of an effect each of those really do have over a long-term view. But let's not do that for the sake of time, let's boil it down to, you know, him and the questioner, the questioner, I don't know if it's male or female, I can't remember, the questioner and many, many people out there are very nervous about the sustainability of the global economy for whatever reason. He listed a few reasons. You probably have different ones. I don't want to go through each of them. We don't have time for that. If you want to ask specific questions, we can dedicate an episode to it for sure. But I think there's an underlying fear here that we can address broadly. What happens when the global economy collapses? And I think this question comes from people who have a particular, okay, we have a name for this, right? People who think like this, who think that the world economy is going to collapse and that we're uh, printing too much money and the U.S. has too much debt and whatever other reason, whatever other cause we define, but the end result is global economic collapse. We call those people doomers, right? In the economic world, investment world, people who think and talk like that are doomers and you know, that kind of philosophy, that downtrodden, you know, post-apocalyptic uh, outlook or apocalyptic outlook for the world, it's attractive, which is weird to think about it. Like, why would people be attracted to people who speak so negatively about the future? Well, it's because they stir up this fear in you when they talk about this stuff. And whatever cause they mention as being the thing to point to and look at this happening, this is the cause of global economic collapse. Whatever the thing they point to, the conclusion of global economic collapse is so powerfully fearful 
that they're going to get people to listen to them. But they're doomers. They're not new. The end is nigh is kind of a joke on Monty Python because people have been calling for the end for whether it's a, you know, religious, um, biblical end or economic end or whatever kind of end. People have been calling for the end of everything all the time. So often. So this is very powerful. It gets views. So let's, let's acknowledge this is a, a group think that exists in a small facet of human psychology and economics and in, in his mentioning of uh, politics too. Can I, can I jump in? Sure. I feel like you're minimizing the argument to a doomsday argument where I think the questioner, as far as I can tell, is not necessarily saying that the world's going to hell in a handbasket and I don't I want to put my money under my mattress. I think what he's saying is 2008 happened just seven years ago mm-hmm. and no one knew it was going to happen. Everyone mm-hmm. was surprised. All the smart people that you're referring to. They, none of them saw it coming. Some did, and they made money off of it, which is another issue. Yeah. <laughs> but most people didn't see it coming. It was a huge surprise. Took us by storm, and the effects were disastrous. Yeah. How do we know that's not going to happen again? So the interesting thing about economic forecasting is, I think there's a joke that economists have correctly predicted eight of the last two recessions. <laughs> Because they always predict it. So, um, uh, Case and Schiller, two economists um, who do house price ec- economics, they predicted the 2008 bubble. And now they're held up as being these incredibly brilliant gurus of predicting the future. And, and subsequently, they've been wrong on a number of their predictions in the housing market. Oh, the, the Case Schiller housing, housing index. Yeah, man. The one, that I always, the one that I always say to you, what's the name of that index? Kurt Schilling? <laughs> You're like, no, no, it's Case Schiller. Like, yeah, yeah, those guys. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant economists. But, you know, they've been wrong since 2008, you know, because, yes, they got one thing right. A lot of people got it wrong. You're right. So what do we, how do we deal with that? I mean, should we talk about whether this line of thinking – I was going to go into how this line of thinking is so attractive but wrong, or, or we could talk about how to deal with it. Which, one, which path do we go down? I mean, I think we've – I think it's – clear why it's attractive. My only contention is that I, I can see that that there that some of the, the doomers do play on fear. And I can mm-hmm. see that being part of the appeal. Right. I'm just saying that the reason that people might be uh, attracted to that viewpoint also has some merit. There's some actual reasons and things that have happened and events that have happened in the recent past that are popularizing that viewpoint that need to be addressed, like the crash and the potential future crashes. Okay. Can I draw a highly controversial analogy? You're going to do it anyways. Yeah, pretty much. People right now across the world, North America for sure, because that's where we live and that's where I, I see, believe that Muslims are evil terrorists. All of us, right? Because they point to very, very recent history and saying, look at, you know, 9-11, look at ISIS, look at uh, Daesh, look at uh, ISIS slash Daesh, look at Al-Qaeda, look at all these different things and look how... Don't say Daesh, they're going to cut your tongue off. Oh, yeah, I'm I'm really worried. Um, (laughs) You know, look at all these bad things that are happening caused by Muslims. Muslims are all bad. Now, we look at that and we take that statement and we say, look, 
these are so small. Like the, the people who are involved in these things are so tiny. There's more than what? What's it at now? 1.2, 1.6 billion Muslims? I've heard 1.6. I don't know if that's true. One I mean, point f- effectively one third of the world. Right. And, and yeah, of course, there are some lunatics out there who are doing things in the name of religion for whatever other reason that they have underlying, but they're using religion as their, their call to arms and their call to action. But you can't generalize from such a small sample of bad things to everything else. So are you saying the Doomers are like the Daesh of the financial markets? No, no, no. <laughs> the Doomers are like the Fox News of the financial markets. Who, oh, they're the fear mongers. Yes. Mm. Who overplay, overemphasize, over, you know, repeat how negative and how bad certain things have been. 2008 was bad. It was a near world ending crisis. I'm For just sure. trying to figure out who ISIS is in your metaphor. Is it the the, the lenders? Is it the subprime <laughs> mortgage owners? Like who's who's the bad guys? <laughs> who do we hate? <laughs> uh, I think the analogy breaks down uh, one level deep. You went you went too deep, man. You went too okay, deep. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, but I, I see I see I see I see your point that recent history has colored our understanding of the markets. And the truth is, you know, for a lot of people, especially if they're you know under forty. They probably well, didn't know a lot about the markets until the crash happened. Yeah, right. They're probably in school or they were too young to, to part of, be part of it. But it's not just recent history. I think that's actually being too generous. I think it's it's the overplaying of a certain few key points in recent history. It's not actually a real um, data backed, you know, scientifically like, and I hate using science as an excuse here, um, but you know, an actual looking at the broad data, even in the last 10 years and saying, yeah, the markets are terrible and the global economy is collapsing. We're take we're cherry picking a couple events, a couple of theses, a couple, uh, ideas, a couple data points from like an ocean of information that's been produced in the last 10 years. And we're saying, yeah, these five key points, are pointing towards global economic collapse. So it's not even like, you know what I mean? Like it's not even all of recent history. It's just a couple things in recent history. Yeah, but I mean the other argument is that history is one thing, but the 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 situation that we find ourselves in and the circumstances and the amount of money that's being printed and stimulus that's being injected into the economy is unprecedented. Uh-huh. So one argument is, well, we don't know what's going to happen. Looking at the data, looking at the history doesn't tell us much because we've never seen this kind of stimulus before. You're right. This is unprecedented. If you don't know who Ron Paul is, look him up. Check out some of his videos. He is, like, I think every Muslim will initially love Ron Paul. Like, will love him. Uh, he's the only person on the Republican field, and now his son, Rand Paul, R-A-N-D, which was a little, not exactly the same as his father, but, you know, they have a lot more comprehensive understanding of foreign policy, of U.S. foreign policy, and its effect, you know, the the military-industrial complex, the effect it has on public relations and the effect it has on, you know, terrorism and all that stuff. They have some very starkly open views about it. They have debated it publicly nationally on national debates. So when you hear somebody on the Republican field say things like, you know, America has military bases in all these countries and we're killing people overseas. Muslims will be like, yes, that's what we've been saying. You're killing Iraqis, you're killing uh, Afghanis, you're killing Pakistanis, you're killing all these people with your bombs. That's causing anger. 
we're going to love that. And we're going to start looking up who Ron Paul is, and we're going to start looking at his economics and his policy, and he's going to start talking about money printing. The Federal Reserve, the institution that controls how much dollar bills get printed, although now it's virtual, is doing it at an alarming rate. Couple things about that. And, and the more you know, again, it's kind of like the argument about Muslims being terrorists. The more Muslims you know, the more you realize that that's not true, right? The more you realize that you can't generalize from a few people to billions. The more you read about economics, the more you can realize that there isn't as much to fear as you were initially led to believe. So the printing of money, it sounds like a bad idea. We've talked about this before. It seems like it's really dumb to deflate your currency, to print money. Therefore, the money that you currently have, if somebody else is off printing it, the money that you have is worth less because somebody's off there printing a whole bunch, right? It sounds like an inherently bad idea, but it's not. Many, like hundreds of economists debate this point all the time, the gold standard, whether, because what Ron Paul argues and what these doomers argue is that money is worthless, Federal Reserve has devalued it, don't have any money, buy gold instead, right? That's ultimately what they, they convince you to do. And we've debated that over and over and over again. It's a continuous economic debate in the world right now, whether what we're doing with printing money is true and correct, or whether we should go back to gold. And I, as Muslims, we haven't really uh, made our decision, our mind up yet about how we deal with our monetary policy because it's relatively new. But there's good reasons why the Federal Reserve is doing that. What they're doing is unprecedented. You're right, Ahmed. But what has happened and what has caused this, caused them to do this has also been unprecedented. And they're coping with it. We don't know if what they're doing is going to be true and correct and good, but there's hundreds of analysts and economists and politicians, and there's tons of talk and analysis and you could call it backbiting if you want, you know, people who are, you know, Monday morning quarterbacking saying, you know, the Federal Reserve should do this and do that. And they're publishing news articles. They're going on TV. They're advocating for certain things. They're lobbying the government. They're lobbying uh, the Federal Reserve to make certain actions. I mean, when you think about how much, con you know, how much influence the general public has in modern Western politics and, and, and uh, monetary policy, it's awesome. That's also unprecedented. How yeah. many countries, like if you wanted to criticize Kim Jong-il's monetary policy in North Korea, <laughs> you probably wouldn't have a good day. You know? <laughs> no, you probably wouldn't have another day. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, our brothers and sisters in Syria, you know, they lived under Hafs al-Assad and Bashar al-Assad. The Mukhabarat there, if you talked, mention the name of the president. The Mukhabarat just snatch you up, right? That's the, 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 the tale that they told us when we were there. So... What, the stuff that we're able to do to openly talk about, and you know, Ron Paul puts out his Liberty Report that's available online, you can subscribe to. The fact that he can do that, it's great. Competing opinions is amazing. And we're going to continue to discuss and debate this, but it's not as doom and gloom as it sounds. So I actually, I think I partially agree with the viewpoint that, not partially, I do agree with the viewpoint that the Federal Reserve and the other, um, their, their, their counterparts in the other countries really had to take extreme and drastic measures in printing you know so much money and injecting so much stimulus into the economy when they did because otherwise the results would have been catastrophic the truth is that we have actually recovered quite well from the 2008 economic uh, crisis and the, and the stock market crash 
Um, the market's bounced back, and most people are above water now. Yeah, but way above water. But but it could have been really really bad. And and Osaid knows I was actually auditing one of the big banks here in Canada that had a massive massive exposure to subprime mortgages. Mm. And so actually in 2008, we were like you know I was in the middle of the audit when this was happening. And we just saw their whole book of subprime mortgage assets just go straight down the toilet. Oh my god! And and we're and the crazy thing about it was that and this is one of the problems with with high finance and modern finance, is that we create these very elaborate structures, these very elaborate securities that nobody and, understands, and that nobody understands. In the end, no, like and, and we were the auditors, and it was our job to understand them. And no matter how no seriously, no matter how many conversations we had with people. It, like in the end, nobody really knew what was going to happen, and that's mm-hmm. where it was really dangerous. And that's where things continue to be dangerous. Regulations have tightened up. Um, there's fewer investment banks. They're being highly scrutinized now more than before. So we've learned a few lessons. It's still a little bit dangerous, but I think one thing's for sure. And I thought about this at the time. Um, anybody who's familiar with Wall Street, with the markets, and how these things work, will probably agree that they had to do it. If they didn't pump all that money into the economy, things could have gotten very, very bad. And for long. It's not just that they would have gotten bad and we've gotten past it by now. No, we would still be in a depression right now. And like we're young. We don't know what it's like to be in a depression. I have clients who are in their 80s who remember growing up in that. You don't want a depression. You want If you had a choice <laughs> between inflation and printing money and a Great Depression 2.0, you're going to choose printing money every day. Like it's no contest. Then we get into the argument of how much is too much and have they gone overboard? And that's such a hotly debated topic right now. It's amazing how much brilliant people are engaging in this very topic. And and don't be fooled to think that, you know, Donald Trump or, you know, certain presidential candidates represent the thought capital in the U.S. and the U.S. economy. They're not. <laughs> there are brilliant, brilliant people who are at the seat on the at the in a chair at the table in these discussions who are arguing for and against many, many different opinions. And it's it's wonderful. I think it's amazing that it's not just one person making a decision about how much money gets printed. It's a committee across the country who are receiving data from all kinds of details. The, the amount of analysis and time, effort, energy, and cost that it goes in that the Federal Reserve goes into to collecting the data upon which they make these decisions is enormous, enormous. And that's not to say that they're going to get it right every time, right? Predicting the future is not a science, but the alternative is not good. Well, look, let's let's get right down to the point, right? All that is fine and good. And the vast majority of us don't have the interest or inclination or the aptitude to understand the nature of all those arguments and figure out who's right and who's wrong. Because in the end, no one knows who's right and who's wrong. Okay. So when it comes down to where I put my money, a lot of people are understandably apprehensive about putting their money into the stock market. Okay. In your opinion, what should put them at ease? Oh. Good question. Okay. Um, you really do cut stiff down to what, what really matters, eh? You're good at that. See, this is why you got to get on those emails, people. If you're not on those emails, you're missing half the content. Well, I'm just, not, would... I'm just not that smart. So I just, <laughs> simple ideas are the ones that register. Yeah, but that's that's fantastic. At the end of the day, what do we do with it? And, and you're right. 
these debates about Keynesian economics, you know, uh, Hungarian economics, it doesn't matter at the end of the day. You're not making those decisions. We can have a fun talk about it, but at the end of the day, you've got to deal with it. And you're not the one that makes that decision about what kind of economic system the world follows. So uh, unless you are, in which case, email us because I'd like to talk to you, but uh, probably not. So you got to deal with it. So knowing this is just the way the world works, the money is being printed and 2008 happened and Bernie Madoff happened, what do we do? Okay, as Ahmed mentioned briefly, and that point bears repeating, since 2008, the markets have gone down, as you know, 2008, 2009. Then they came back up and the US market has completely recovered and surpassed everything that was lost in 2008. Think about that. A world ending crisis that caused a 50% crash in stocks has gained all of that back and then some. And we're only what, seven years later. And that didn't happen and take it didn't take the full seven years for that to happen. I think the peak actually occurred in 2012. So that was four years after the collapse, right? The stock market reaches a peak, collapses, and then slowly comes back up, such that even just four years later, people who had lost the money in the stock market made it all back. Think about that. A world-ending crisis only took four years for investors to recoup all the losses from a once in a generation, once in a three generation event. So we overblow the risk and the downside. And um, Daniel Kahneman, uh, an uh, economist, psychologist, uh, Nobel Prize winner said in one of his studies that we as human beings feel loss twice as powerfully as we feel gain. So people would feel like it's not just a 50% decline, it was like a 100% decline. And we didn't get all the way back and then some, maybe we only got back 20, 30%. That's how people would feel about their reality and what happened. But that isn't actually what's true. So that goes back to the history. We're not actually looking at history. We're taking little bits and uh, cherry picking data to make the world look bad. But if we actually looked at the data, even of the recent history in the last 10 years, investors have made money in stocks. You know, gold hasn't been such a good ride. That's not to say that gold is not a good investment at all, but it's not the safe haven that we think it is, especially, you know, there's an inverse relationship as the world economy starts to crash, gold goes up. But the world economy really only crashes, like the world economy, credit system, banking systems only crash every three generations, every 80, 90, 100 years. So if you're banking on that to happen, for your gold to be worth something, I think that's not a very safe bet. Well, and look, there's, there were a lot of really, really smart people, smarter than Ron Paul as far as economics goes, uh, back yeah. in 08, 09, even up until 2010, who were trumpeting two things, gold and oil. Oh, yeah. Buy gold <laughs> and buy oil. The peak oil argument, right? That ultimately oil was going to hit 150. And it wasn't that long ago that, um, that it was probably three, four years ago that gas prices were just through the roof, like mm -hmm. double what they are now, right? Yeah. And um, the peak oil argument was that oil is going to hit $150, $200, $300 a, a, a barrel, 
And um, we're, at, we're at 43 right now, by the way. We're at 43 now, and that effectively globalization would come to a halt because the transport of goods would become far too expensive. Local economies would would thrive and would become the focus. You wouldn't be able to import goods from China and India and what have you anymore because it's just too expensive to bring them over. And all of these just very um, um, you know extensive impacts on the global economy would would, would then ensue from that. That hasn't happened. No. I'm not saying it's not going to happen. I don't know. <laughs> I don't. I, I don't. Not, even, I don't even care to make a prediction. Not my, in the. Yeah, I mean, it, it would be illogical to assume that something like that's going to happen in the near future, like the next couple of years, right? So the point is, all those guys that told you to buy gold and to buy oil, I'm not saying they were wrong. I'm not saying they won't eventually be right. I don't know, but between now and then, you would have lost a lot of money if you did that. Um, and that was the Muslim problem that I saw. <laughs> You know, lots of gold, lots of oil, and yeah, didn't do well at all, unfortunately. And, 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 and my and only point there is just that not to say that you shouldn't buy gold, you shouldn't buy oil, and you should buy stocks. I'm not saying that at all. Uh, the The point of this discussion is not to draw conclusions; to help us understand the the complexities of what we're dealing with. And my point here is that yes, there's risk in the markets. Yes, things can happen. And Saeed's done a pretty good job of explaining how that works and why you shouldn't be too afraid of it. My point is that there's risk in other assets, too. There's risks yeah. in housing. Well, we saw that in 2008. Right? Yeah, absolutely. There's risks in housing. There's risks in gold. There's risks in oil and precious metals and commodities. There's risks in everything. And there's risks in keeping your money in cash in your bank account or under your mattress, too. Inflation erodes that. Exactly. There's always going to be some level of risk and some level of loss that's going to occur, and we got to make decisions about what to do. I am not going to make the recommendation that you should buy invest in the stock market because I don't know you and I don't know who's listening. I can't make that recommendation, but I think we need to think twice about the doom and gloom perspective that's out there about in financial markets. It's not based on data and history when you get into it. Well, as always, we have discussed the question at length. We've debated the question. We have not answered the question. And that's okay. And, you know, I think if you've been listening to the show for long enough, you will probably have gotten used to this by now. If you're new to the show, you hey, may welcome. wonder, like, why can't these guys just give us a straight answer? And the honest truth is, we're not interested in giving you an answer. We're interested in helping you understand the problem, understand the dynamics of the market, understand the dynamics of, of economics and how money works, so that you can make your own decisions. We're not here to, to be your parents and to tell you what to do. We're here to help you understand how to make decisions for yourself, and hopefully, we're helpful in that regard. Yes, sir. But if we're not, send us another email. <laughs> Let us know. This is a waste of your time. Team at riskwise.com. If you have a question too, uh, this was a very good one, and I'm, I know that there are tons of people, Muslim specifically, but tons of people generally, uh, who have that doom and gloom perspective. So I'm I'm very thankful to the uh, questioner to sending this in. I was excited to uh, answer it. Um, Ahmed was not so much <laughs> excited for me answering it. Well, I think I did a pretty good job keeping you at bay. Yes, you did, actually. My fear was that you'd go off the deep end. Uh, yeah, look at all these notes that I made right here that you that you didn't let me say. Yeah, That's well, I, I cut you off at the right time. And I knew <laughs> we were really going to go off, and then I, then I, I stepped in. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. And that's what I do here, really. That's my role. <laughs> so, thank you, Saeed, again. Thank you so much for listening to Risk Nation. If you have any other questions, shoot us an email, team at riskwise.com, or go to riskwise.com forward slash ask. You can send in your questions there. Get on our email list so that you'll get notified as soon as all the latest episodes are released by going to riskwise.com and signing up there. And, and if you're on the, iTunes, 
Yeah, sorry. One point on that email. Like I said, it, it really is half the content for these these, uh, the, these podcasts. Ahmed does an incredible job of summarizing what we talk about so that you know what you're getting into and what you're listening to. And you can go back and, you know, if you want to re-listen to an episode, doing it through email is going to be the best way. And if you're on iTunes, head on over there, search up our show, subscribe, and leave us a rating and a review. And we would be very grateful for that. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much. Assalamu alaikum. Assalamu alaikum.